We welcome into the program from CBSSports.com, Shehan Jayaraja. Shehan, good morning. How are you? Welcome to Tuesday. Hey, I'm not too bad. Thanks for having me. Let's. Uh, I was just looking this morning at a uh, at an article you wrote about Spencer Rattler and, and his transfer. W- when you worked that article, and you and, and he talked about the the situation in Norman being toxic. Uh, when you saw that and when you put that together, what was your initial reaction? You know, I get it, right? I mean, I think that from his perspective, he went, he won a championship, a Big 12 championship as a first-year starter. He led them to a 5-0 and record, obviously. Then it was benched at halftime of the uh, the Texas-Oklahoma game. So I understand his frustration. Right? I mean, he feels like he did most of what he was trying to do, and he felt like you know, that that he had a chance to keep upping his game and that he, he did what he needed to do. But at the same time, I mean, I think that people around the program, people, uh, you know, certainly outside of the program, saw what Caleb Williams could do. I mean, that, that's what's really unfortunate for him about this, is not that he struggled. It's that they had somebody like Caleb Williams waiting in the wings. And when you do recruit quarterbacks the way that Oklahoma did under Lincoln Riley, I mean, this is just part of the game. You know, eventually somebody comes in and, and, you know, is special like Caleb Williams is. So I understand why he was frustrated by it. And I I think that certainly as a starting quarterback, as somebody who's won a Big 12 championship, to hear people chant, we want Caleb from the crowd, uh, you know, a freshman quarterback who hasn't really done anything at that point, I understand the frustration, but at the same time, that's kind of part of being a college football player. That's part of playing at a program like Oklahoma. And I think that he has a great opportunity to kind of rebuild his stock now at South Carolina, you know, as a place where he can kind of really be the guy. And I'm curious because I believe, isn't he from Vegas? And if so, why go that direction? Why South Carolina and not maybe head west? Yeah, I believe he's from Arizona. And so it is kind of interesting. Yeah, it is kind of interesting that he decided to do that. But he does have a, a connection to Shane Beamer. Shane Beamer was associate head coach at Oklahoma during uh, some of his time there. And so there is sort of that relationship there. And I think that the opportunity to go and really have an opportunity to, to be a savior at an SEC program is an attractive opportunity. The other thing, too, is that his teammate, tight end Austin Stogner, also went there. And, and from the way that uh, the article was told in the ESPN, it sounds like Austin Stogner kind of made the decision and sort of campaigned for Spencer Rattler to also follow him there as well. So I, I think that a lot of things kind of came together from that perspective, and, and South Carolina became the right place to go. Shayhan, when you look at West Virginia, there's we've, we've talked about the, the disarray that's going on up there with Neil Brown and the program, but you are able to land JT Daniels, reunite him with Graham Harrell. Can they build around that, and can they salvage that program right now? Yeah, it's a big opportunity for them because it really has been the passing game that's let them down for basically all three years that Neil Brown has been there. Uh, you know, part of it is quarterback. I mean, I, I think certainly that – that Jarrett Dagey had a cap on his performance, but some of it has been receiver play. Some of it has been schemes. Some of it has just been, you know, not just kind of not being very good all the way around. And so I think that they have an opportunity now between Graham Harrell and JT Daniels to really have some answers in that passing game. We'll, we'll see what the upside is because the reality is, I mean, JT Daniels, you know, he could not beat out Stetson Bennett last year. He was not the starting quarterback for Georgia's national championship team, but we've seen what he can do. We saw what he could do at USC. We saw what he could do during stretches at Georgia, including the last four games of 2020, where he looked pretty dang impressive. 
So I, I think that he does have an opportunity to immediately come in and raise the floor of that passing game in a big way. And when you look around the rest of that roster, I mean, they've got a great running back room. Uh, they've got a solid offensive line unit with a lot of people coming back. They've been good on the defensive side of the ball for each of the past couple of years. So there's a chance that this really works, that this really hits and, and JT Daniels fundamentally changes what this room is. But, you know, again, he, you know, JT Daniels hasn't really played a whole lot of football in basically two years at this point and has always dealt with injuries. So we'll have to see whether he's actually able to follow through on that. Nick Saban, uh, as you write in an article the other day, uh, he had some major concerns with the NIL program. Now, it didn't hurt them in their recruiting. I mean, they still had another terrific class, but does he have some legitimate concerns in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we've talked about it a couple of times. You know, this is the, the rule out of NIL right now, and there's not really a whole lot of rules. There's not really a whole lot of regulation. Uh, and so I think that this is kind of like the crazy time when nobody wants to get left behind. So everybody's throwing a lot of money around because they don't want to get left behind. And so I think it will settle down. I think that uh, we probably will get some legislation at some point to kind of help unify some of these issues. But uh, you know, I, I understand for Dick Saban why this is a frustration because he's kind of existed in one plane of existence for a while in recruiting, and now all of a sudden, you know, you have these things like collectives, you have these things like uh, NIL opportunities, you, you have, you know, uh, it, it's just a different way of running a program at this point. And one frustration that he mentioned is that he really would prefer to to have players kind of make equal money as opposed to kind of like bidding individually for their services. And, you know, of course, at the same time, then we're getting into a, a different type of paper play, but like, you know, I, I think it's, it's going to be interesting over the next couple months and years, how this does change. I mean, Nick Saban's 70, he's not slowing down anytime soon, but certainly you think within the next 10 years, things will probably look different than they do in the next year or so. So it'll be interesting to kind of see whether some of those concerns are heard, but I do agree you know, kind of getting into a real open bidding war is probably something that isn't sustainable for the sport. You know, I was thinking about it. Uh, this is name, image, and likeness for the for the individual player. And theoretically, they're supposed to manage their NIL situation. But you also, from a team and from an institution standpoint, you got to make sure that things are done correctly, don't you? Yeah, that's a big part of it. I mean, everything's supposed to be kind of clear through the compliance department. Everything's supposed to be above board because the reality is, right, this, this isn't supposed to be recruiting inducement. This isn't supposed to be pay-for-play. It's supposed to be stuff based on their name, image, and likeness. And, of course, you know, the, what that means can be pretty loose. I mean, the reality is if you go to a school and you provide value to them, I mean, that is your name, image, and likeness also providing value to them. So if it is through a collective or something like that, that is based on who you are at the same time. But I, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of state laws have rules about inducements and recruiting and about how that's not allowed. And certainly that sort of stuff is being circumvented right now. I'm curious to see whether that gets cracked down on in any meaningful way, but it might only happen when there is more federal legislation. And with the way things are in the, in the federal government right now, it might take a minute. So, you know, I'm always intrigued by, you know, when – when schools set up these visits and they have kids coming in, the little things they do. How about Dana Holgerson in Houston, man? Like breaking out the slabs and, and pop a trunk on South Main and having all those guys coming through like that. 
<laughs> I love it. I mean, we obviously saw Tom Herbin be kind of the first guy at the University of Houston to really embrace some of that. And honestly, I, when you look at what, where he failed at Texas, I think he kind of lost himself a, a little bit from that perspective. And I love Dana Holgerson coming out, showing some local flavor, really embracing the community. You know, and, and we see that at other schools, but I think that Houston is such a unique city from that perspective. And uh, to, to play into that, to try to be kind of this team of the culture in a lot of ways, that's something that you're able to do as a college football program in, in the city of Houston. You know, I mean, I don't think that you can kind of get away with that the same way if you're the Texans, for example, or, you know, so I, I think that it's such a great opportunity for them to, to tap into who they are. And, and so I think that, um, you know, this is what I think recruiting is, right? It, it is sort of saying, this is who we are. This is who we want you to be. This is what you want. Uh, we want you to be a part of. And uh, and so I love them bringing out that sort of stuff. I think that it, that making recruiting hyper-local is, is what it's all about. Shahan, uh, Baylor's going to hold their spring game this week. There's several spring games that were played last weekend and, and a lot more this weekend. In your opinion, what is the significance of that spring game, that spring event? Well, first, it is a big moment for the fans, right, because – Fans haven't seen these players play. This is an opportunity for them to get to see a lot of players who, who honestly might not even contribute this next year. You know, it's a, it's a preview of the deep future in some ways. So, you know, you'll get to see some of the true freshmen come out. You'll get to see some of the, the you know, people who might be contributors in 2023 or 2024. Like Tyrone Drones is going to get a lot of snaps at quarterback. That'll be something interesting to watch. Uh, we'll get to see some of that quarterback battle between Gary Bohannon and Blake Shapin. So first and foremost, I think it's a great event for the fans and, and some of the media to come out and see players that they won't have a chance to see otherwise. But, you know, I think the other thing too is it does give you a glimpse into the state of the team. It, it lets you know, okay, which players are part of that first unit at this moment. It doesn't mean that they're going to be starting in the fall, but it does mean, okay, maybe you get a chance to kind of see who's been working in that first team unit together. And I think that also it gives players an opportunity to kind of show what they've got. And for a team like Baylor that obviously is going to be replacing, you know, key spots at running back, key spots at wide receiver, key spots at safety and linebacker, uh, you know, seeing some big opportunities and, and some big games from uh, from real live action, I, I think at least gives us a little bit of a glimpse of what could come next. So, you know, look, I, I don't want to re read too much into spring games because history is littered with people who have uh, had great spring games who never actually played meaningful snaps for a team. But I do think that it is a great opportunity to at least see what some of these players have gotten. Sometimes it does give you a little bit of a preview. Shayhan, you, I want to talk about Texas Tech for a second. You know Joey. Uh, and we all knew that once he took that job, recruiting was going to amp up in Lubbock. But the number one recruiting class right now, I thought you couldn't recruit to Lubbock. <laughs> yeah, Joey McGuire is that guy, right? I mean, Joey McGuire is the perfect person to come in and, and really energize recruiting in so many ways. You know, one thing that really stuck out to me when, uh, when I looked back at Matt Wells' tenure was that they did not recruit a single four-star recruit from mm -hmm. the city of Dallas. And so, you know, for Joey McGuire, he came from that I-20 corridor. He obviously was a standout head coach at Cedar Hill, winning multiple state championships. Uh, you know, he's such a great coach, and, and he has such deep relationships there that I think that it's already started to pay off. You know, they've got four four-star recruits in this 2023 20, recruiting class. Now, I, I will mention, okay, I mean, 
looking at their average recruit rating, they're not going to finish with the number one class in the country. I think that we can be reasonable about right. that. But, but you know, to go and be in that top 25 conversation, maybe push for that top 20 conversation, that's huge for Texas Tech. I mean, they have not recruited like this. They've been in the 40s and 50s uh, for most of the past couple of years. So they're going to get a huge influx of talent. They've been early on kids. They've identified kids really early. Uh, and, you know, I think that heading into this new Big 12, right, I mean, I, I'll keep coming back to this over and over until it happens. There's going to be such a fight between Baylor, TCU, Texas Tech, uh, and Houston as well. And then obviously SMU, who I think is still going to be very competitive. But, you, you know, it's really going to be a battle for supremacy to prove that you belong in that conversation and that you belong at the top. I mean, I think that, that TCU and Baylor have kind of dominated this 2010. So if Texas Tech can push their way in, I think that means huge things uh, with Joey McGuire at the helm. Shayhan, I know you got a lot of great stuff on uh, CBSSports.com. What, what's coming up on CBSSports.com from Shayhan Jayaraja? Yeah, we've got a story coming out today uh, on uh, on sort of Texas and Quinn Ewers and why he kind of provides a clean slate, but also the expectations that come with it. And then we got some more spring game content coming up. We'll have a live blog going up on Saturday. So check it all out at CBSSports.com. As always, my friend, thanks so much, and uh, have a great day. Thank you so much for having me. Talk to you soon. That is uh, Shehan Jayaraja from CBSSports.com.